Hi, welcome to the Transition Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Goldie. Are you worried about becoming a civilian again? Have you just separated from defence or emergency services and want to minimise the stress during transition? Then this podcast is for you. We interview people just like you that are doing fine. No flyers here. These are everyday people like you who have just stepped out of uniform at some point. Our guests are candid about what they did and what worked for them. I'll bet there's some gold nuggets in there for you to model off and make your transition smoother than that might be. So let's cross live to the studio and hear today's guest. G'day everyone. I'm Travis and my guest today is Kevin. Hello Kevin. G'day Travis. How are you mate? Good. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier. It's been, what year is it now? 21? 21. So it's 21 years since we saw each other in person. It is, mate. Yeah, yeah. Long, long time. And uh, yeah, as I was saying, I, I couldn't remember if we worked again after mm. uh, that uh, that deployment and, and in Balibo together. But yep. um, yeah, no, we hadn't um, sort of separated and, and away you went on your path and I kept it going on mine and here we are 21 years later catching up again. That's it. Um, so just before I ask the, that traditional first question, um, just tell us a little bit about you, just for the listeners, to get a bit of context. Um, obviously, people know I did some stuff in Army Aviation. That's where we met. Uh, you were the debt commander um, and driving Blackhawks at the time, but you went on and did some other stuff. Let's talk about that just real briefly. Yeah, so uh, I spent 20 years in the Army, uh, Army Aviation, as a pilot flying Blackhawk and Chinooks. Uh, I bounced backwards and forwards between the two types a couple of times. Um, Served in East Timor, uh, went back and forth there a few times. Uh, Papua New Guinea for um, humanitarian ops, uh, Iraq in 2003, and then Afghanistan uh, a few times as well. Um, and then right towards the end of my service career, um, the wheels came off, fell in a heap, and managed to um, managed to, to get back on with life again, thankfully. Yep. But um, I'm sure we'll get to that a bit later. Yeah, one of the reasons I was really keen to have you on is um, how you've come out of the other end of that journey. So um, hopefully there's some nuggets in it. Let's get into that first question. All right, mate. If you could tell a discharging person one sentence, what would you say? I'd say for starters, one sentence is way too short. <laughs> All right, okay, so but, what, um, what would, what's your, your, your primary thing you want to tell somebody that's getting out? The number one thing that I think we all need to remember when we're getting out, or at least we need to know when we're getting out, um, is that we actually know a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. Um, we, we use different language for it, and we have a very structured um, regime for how it happens, but the base level knowledge and attitude um, is far superior than what we actually give ourselves credit for. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that when we get out, we should think that we are entitled yep. to anything. Uh, it's not to think that when we get out that we should be able to go and knock on any door and say, you want me, you just don't know it yet. Yep. Uh, it, what it is to say is that we should go out with humility um, and just demonstrate our attitude and mm. demonstrate our skills and our knowledge um, through our behaviours yeah. uh, by just being who you are. Mm. 
and uh, and and if I think if all service personnel did that when they got out, then we have a very different conversation on our hands mm. around the transition process. Uh, but but quite often we uh, we we don't give ourselves the credit and and we fail to understand that it's just in many cases a different language that we need to come to terms with yep. uh, for how to interact out in the out in the civilian world. It's funny, my first experience of that different language is when I went to Kapuka as an instructor, uh, as a corporal, I had to explain what a Dobie bag was, what a gopher is, what a gumpy is. And that was the first time I realised that we had a cultural language of our own. Um, and I got to the point where I handed out a double-page piece of paper to all the recruits and said, these are words that are going to get thrown in you know, in the next 24 hours. Um, this is the only chance you've got to get in front of that curve. <laughs> Um, and, Absolutely. And I've given that to some people out in society as well. The CEO wounded here, I've never served a day in his life. Mm. I gave him a copy of it and he went, I hear all these words all the time and I, I don't want to be disrespectful and ask what they are, but this gives me a chance to go context. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. I, I certainly had to cut away swearing. That That was mm. the biggest language thing that i had to learn when i got out i swore like a trooper funny yep, enough yep. yeah that's right and yeah and and there are uh there are other things that we need to learn mm. and we need to be able to discern as well uh, pretty rapidly and one of the things that uh, one of the examples i use is when you walk into a you know a meeting in the military or into a group of other people you see the the type of uniform the rank if you're lucky, you'll see the hat badge to see the corps from a military pers- from the army perspective. Um, but you you instantly have at mm. least a a box of some shape and size to put that person in to go right. He's the commander. He's the he's the QE. He's the this. He's the that. Yeah. She's doing this. She's doing that. Um, and and you can get a really quick sense of who's who's done what level of training what language, you already know what language they speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whereas in the civvy space, when you walk into a boardroom or to a work site, um, no one's wearing any tags to let yeah. you know what their background is. Um, and so you need to be able to work that out through, uh, through conversations and, and questioning and, and all the rest of it. That mm. doesn't seem like you're, um, you're, you're attacking in any way, but you're just wanting to find out the lay of the land. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that's a really, really interesting one as well. When I got out, one of the things I did, um, I was an Air Force cadet before I joined the Army, and I went back to that as a staff member again. And what I found is when I was wearing blues, the Air Force people wouldn't talk to the other. They would come up to me because they go, ribbons, cross rifle, pa- right, you. Um, I need this, I need that. And we could talk the same language. And I'd have a squadron leader Air Force cadet style and they'd be like, why are they talking to you? Because they can instantly go, that's what that person knows. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it, familiarity. Um, so your discharge process was a bit disjointed, I would imagine, um, and drawn out. So how did you start preparing yourself for, okay, I'm getting out now, um, yep. it's going to happen. What did you do at, at that point in time? Um, because what you did after that will be different to that again, I'd imagine. Yeah, it, it, uh, yes and no, actually. Yep. And um, so for me, um, I, I had a, a complete breakdown in 2008 um, and um, I ended up having 
nine months off work. Um, and it's, it is a really long story and I won't give you a bore you with all the details, but suffice to say that um, I, it, it wasn't the rigours of war, the, the bullets, the cliff edges, that kind of stuff that, that made me fall apart. Uh, it was actually a toxic work environment that pulled me apart, tore me apart. Um, and and so with that came the absolute fueled desire to prove them wrong. Yeah. And so with that, I was mainly out of pride, not going to have a medical discharge. Yeah. Um, looking back in hindsight, was that or wasn't that the right decision or the right intent? Don't know. Um, all I know is that life has turned out okay for me. Um, but I was hell-bent on getting my category back again and being able to get back to a state where I had the choice, mm. not someone else. Um, and so, uh, so from there, I did end up going back to work on a return-to-work plan, and then I ended up getting offered a job. I was incredibly fortunate um, that I actually got offered a job, um, which was pretty much the dream job that I wanted to go to. Um, but I, I still, even though everything that had happened, um, I felt dirty about thinking about leaving the army. Yeah. Um, now, and I was really torn to whether or not I should take this this job on a silver platter, mm. or whether or not I should stay. Because I, I'm not exaggerating. I firmly believed that my reason for being on the planet was to lead men and women on the battlefield. Yep. was to fly military helicopters mm. um, and and all of that was evaporating before my eyes yeah and and now the final straw was me making the decision to leave yep. and um, and and make the decision I did uh, partly because on the the army side um, I was labeled as damaged goods yep. um, so so I made the decision to leave and yep. um, and that was that was really interesting because I, I remember with my wife two things. One, um, saying we've actually got the choice now for where we're going to live. Mm. And here I was at the ripe old age of you know thirty eight, um, having been in the army for twenty years, and and we were looking at each other, going, "We can leave Townsville. We can, yeah. Do you do do you want to live in?" Um, you know, Innisfail or Italy, yep. uh, you know, where we can honestly choose where we want to go for the first time in 20 years. Mm. Um, and that was really, really daunting. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, we eventually chose Brisbane for a number of reasons. Um, but the second part of it was that wherever we move to, I'm so ashamed of allowing myself, in inverted commas, to fail, have a breakdown, contemplate suicide, um, that I didn't want a soul knowing about it. Mm. And so getting out of the army actually gave us the perfect ability to recreate our personal and professional lives so that that topic never, ever, ever came up yep. um, because I was too ashamed of it. And so we kept it a secret and buried it deep. And we might get to it later that you know, that, that secret we buried deep ended up re-emerging with a big, ugly head later on. But yep. yeah. Um, so there's two things I need to unpack for the audience because most people think of army officers as what you were as a GSO. 
um, in aviation, we also have SSOs. So I just need to make clear that you were a career officer yep. uh, that was also a pilot. Yep, um, yep, that's right. So there are what we call SSOs, um, and I can't remember the exact abbreviation. but yep, Specialist service officers. If you think of it like a nurse or a doctor, you come in to be that job and you, yep. you're never going to be in command. That was um, that was the plan. Yeah, a number of SSOs did end up changing yep. over to be GSOs and and yep. having command and whatnot, and did great jobs too. Don't yep. get me wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. One of the best uh, OCs I ever had, by, besides Dave Reardon, um, was a nursing officer when I was at Alpha Company in Kapuka, and she was an SSO. Yep. Um, Bronnie was fantastic because of her experience in emergency rooms as a nurse. She had a different level of empathy for those around her, which I didn't find from the combat guys that yep. I'd served around before that. Um, the other thing is aircrew medical stuff and how that relates to y your possibility of a career on the outside as a pilot. Um, a lot of people won't understand how they're tied together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, you have to have a, both a licence to fly and a, what's called an aircrew medical licence. So medically deemed fit to fly. Um, so competent with your hands and feet and your aptitude and, as well as then medically fit. Uh, when I, um, and that's both military and civilian. When I had my breakdown, uh, I was grounded. And whilst I didn't like it very much because I didn't like being grounded uh, because my problem wasn't in the air, that was, you know, my happy place, so to speak. Mm. Um, but, uh, but, but mental illness is a really, really serious animal, as everybody would know. Um, and being grounded was absolutely the right thing to have happened to me, even though I didn't like it at the time. I now see with hindsight, absolutely the right thing to do. Yep. Um, the question of whether I would ever get my medical back again, having now admitted to suicidal ideation, a complete breakdown where I was convulsing and incoherent, um, I really didn't know how that was going to pan out. At the time, that was really secondary to the bigger picture, which was, am I actually just going to live? Mm. Um, getting out into the civilian world, it was a whole different ball game with regard to how to do it. But come back to point one about language and understanding the new system and the new regime, mm. and you soon realise that there's a lot of similarities there. You just have to realise how this game is played and the rules and the language that's used as opposed to the military version. Yep. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I certainly had my share of hiccups and hassles there, um, getting the civilian medical sorted out um, with all, everything from, uh, I won't bore you with the details, but, yeah, <laughs> wow, what a ride. Yep. Um, but, yes, eventually, um, yeah, got, uh, got flying again and, and up, up and running on the, on the civvy side, but had to keep my medical as well. Um, do you find, and amongst um, the peers that you're in touch with, that as a, a military pilot, that you have so many transferable skills that makes transition somewhat easier? If I think of um, an artillery gun number, they will go, well, there is nothing for me on the outside. A QE can go, well, I can be a storeman. A pilot, um, everyone I know that's a pilot has a passion for flight. Um, that they can take on with them and do something similar to what they were doing. You're never going to be flying under MVGs at low level again, um, but you're still going to be flying. Is that the truth of it? Yeah, well, um, we do end up 
MVG's low level again. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just no one's shooting at you this time. So, that's, so that's the positive. Um, generally speaking, everybody's happy to see you, especially the people that you're going to rescue. Yeah. Um, and no loadmaster to put up with. No, we've got crewmen. Yeah, but crewmen. they're not loadies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're not loadies. They're, they're crewmen, crew persons. Mm. Um, indeed, the organisation where I work at the moment, there's a, a couple of cracking um, women yep. that are crewies there and doing a fantastic job. And um, we. The, the transferable skills on the piloting side, some of them are directly transferable, like flying low level MVG as part of a search. Mm. Um, but you can have all your white lights on. I say that's that's one of the differences. Yep. Um, there are some other parts to it that are indirectly transferable. So, and, and this was one of the things when I first um, started the job. There's a minimum hours requirement, but you can have a lower amount of hours. If you've got background in um, the CIVI, CIVI name is EMS, Emergency Medical Services, um, but there was no allowance for military type of operations such as QRF, yep. right, or Rapid Response Force, or any of those other yeah. yeah, any of those other acronyms that we use and come up with over the years, right? TLAs. Yeah. Um, so it's one of the things that I said, hey, we we need to expand the language here because being part of a QRF is actually a whole lot more challenging mm. than being part of an EMS crew yep. um, because you're taking into account the tactical battlefield as well as from a three-dimensional perspective as well as the actual medical task that you're going to do mm. or the tactical task you're doing. Um, and so, yeah, expanding that language scope uh, was, was really important. But, but the other thing I'll say on the pilot side, um, and this is the part that applies to every single trade, um, is the professionalism that you take with it. So just because you don't wear the uniform anymore, just because it's not a life and death to a shooting range, doesn't mean that you have to drop your standards. Mm. And you can take with you your, your attitude and professional standards into that new place of work. So whether you're flying at 35,000 feet or driving a bus or working in a, in a, um, in a surgery or, or a Q store or whatever, you can yep. still maintain those professional standards. Mm. And, and I think back to, um, I don't know whether you remember, Andrew Walsh. Um, he was the bearded cook that we had in Timor. Yeah, yeah. He took his role very seriously as a cook. He said, I want to be the best cook that everyone talks about. That They go, I want Walshy to be on my deployment as a cook yep. um, because I'm a professional at my trade. Mm. Um, just as I'm a professional at everything else, I do well when I'm in uniform. Absolutely. Um, did you have trouble not self-identifying as a retired officer? Um, or a retired soldier? Yeah, right? I was going to say, yeah, short answer to that is absolutely. Yep. Um, but I, the, the slight pause there was on the officer piece. Mm -hmm. um, there was a part of that, absolutely was, right? Um, because I think all of us to some degree um, identify with the rank as well as the uniform. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, the bigger part of me was absolutely just, just the uniform. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a huge part of me rebranding re, uh, re in a civvy phrase, mm. civvy term, uh, rebranding myself was who am I? And I, I'm no longer, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Humphreys, or I'm no longer, yep. you know, Army pilot Kevin, mm. blah blah blah. Um, I'm 
Kevin. Kevin. I'm Kev. Yeah. I'm dad. I'm husband. Mm. You know, I'm I'm uncle. I'm son. And really, coming back to the human side that we all are ultimately, um, and all those other things are just names. Um, and and twenty years. And and part of what made me realise this was actually some time I spent with some older veterans um, at a at an RSL, and. One guy who was a uh, ex Kiwi Air Force C one thirty pilot, and um, he was twenty one years, give or take, um, in the uh, in the New Zealand Air Force uh, flying there, and he'd now been out. Oh, sorry, fifteen years, because he'd now been working twenty one years as a something or other. It was a completely different industry, nothing to do with aviation at all, right? And uh, and I said, you know, do you have trouble? Do you still think back to your flying days? Blah blah blah. And he said, you know what? Not really," he said. "I've now been doing this other thing for longer than I was there, yeah. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's part of my life. But you're really not there anymore." And I went, "Wow, there's an example of someone who has been able to move on to the next chapter." And and that's a phrase that I I keep reminding myself of, and um, and it's a, a really good I think turn of phrase to use is that you know what you did before the military was a chapter in your life, and and the military was one chapter or maybe more chapters in your life. And, and after the military, whatever the next career is, is another chapter in, in your book of life. You know, my book of Kev um, just has a, another chapter in it now. And there is nobody that spends their entire life in the military. Everyone retires at some point. Everyone gets out at some point. Um, so for those of you at home that, like me, self I am a soldier. It is who I am. Um, you are going to have to decouple that at some point uh, and find your own way to do that. And it's really, can I say, it's really freaking painful yep. if that decoupling doesn't happen purposefully. Mm-hmm. If that decoupling happens because of breakdown or for whatever reason um, and you're not coming to grips with the choice to make yep. it happen um, and if you find yourself that you didn't have the choice, the next step is you've got to make you've got to have the acceptance that it has happened. Uh, and if you can't do one of those two things, it's just a world of pain that awaits. Yeah. I, I didn't know I had PTSD until I was doing a BFA uh, at Kapuga as an instructor. I'd been there for about three years and I was 100 yards from the finish line and I just went, why? Why am I doing this thing? This, this doesn't make me better at what... And I just... I didn't care. And I went... There is something fundamentally wrong with me at this point, and that's when I reached out for help. Um, but like you, I had this damaged goods thing that I went through that um, I was posted out of Kapuka within two weeks wow. to Brisbane, to a hospital, to a pool position, just so that other people couldn't interact with me and I couldn't spoil the apple cart. Yep. Um, so I can absolutely empathise with that damaged good feeling um, and I struggled for years after getting out going, well, this wasn't my choice and it's a medical discharge and I, I could still do things. I could still be a storm and I, I could, I could yep. all the other things that I did in my, I could go back to trucks. I, could, I can still do things. Um, it's just the chemicals in my brain aren't right. Give me a chance to get better. Um, and with ARN and all that readiness stuff, um, it was just, a paper process that said, if you can't be better by this time, you're out. Yep. 
Um, and that's changed now, thank Christ. Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, how did you find the, the, and we talk about it in like Ugman, caveman style, how did you find leaving the tribe? Yep. So for me, it was a, a bittersweet type of, uh, type of deal. So as I said, the toxic culture was, was there and, and the reason why I fell in a heap, I was happy to get away from that as, as quickly as possible. Um, the job I was going to was uh, just my dream job, really, um, flying helicopter emergency medical services, EMS, up in the, the top end um, in Northern Territory, which there are few better jobs in the world, I think, for the variety of tasks that you undertake. Um, so I was pretty excited to be going off to that. But I was leaving behind the good people in defence and the, the good jobs, the good times in defence. And, and who knows what else was going to be in store for me over the coming years and whether or not I had actually peaked and had the best of my days or not, I'll never know. But the thing that made it easier, again, was that the, the people in CareFlight who I went to work for, um, a number of them were ex-military, both Army and Navy, um, and uh, both as pilots, as crewmen and whatnot. And so they had a real hybridised kind of language and attitude and culture, uh, which had a lot of familiarity from a military flying perspective, uh, but was pretty well civilianised at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it was a great pond for me to jump into uh, from, that, from that regard. When I think of um, helicopter operations, I think there is no job that you do in the military where your life depends on other people that you can do outside in terms of helicopters. As a crew, as the three or four people in that aircraft, if you don't do your individual bit of job, the other people's lives are in danger mm. in no way that they... Like a bus driver can put people in danger, but you're not relying on um, three or four other moving parts. Um, do you find that engenders some military style of doing things? Yeah, so from the point of view of standardization of terminology of um, expectations and whatnot absolutely and and the best example of this I could give you was um, uh, yeah so in in Afghanistan one of the jobs we did was getting some uh, SF patrols or trying to get some SF patrols onto this really sharp knife edged ridgeline um, and here we are in a Chinook you know trying to back the Chinook up onto the cliff edge yeah so that just the back wheels can get on the cliff edge lower the ramp and the guys can get off the ramp not get off the back of the ramp but get off the side of the ramp to yep. go sideways right <laughs> um and it's you know whatever time at night on mvgs i'm hanging i'm in the front hanging over a thousand feet of nothing mm. um and looking over my shoulder at the the rocks that are about 30 40 meters away because that's the only thing i use as a cliff as a, as a hover reference to keep stable but I'm moving the aircraft just inches at a time based on what the crewman in the back is telling me in the headset because he's the guy actually looking at mm. where, the, where the blades are just missing the rocks. Um, and, you know, and I tell some people that who don't have any aviation background and they are just horrified. Yep. Um, and don't get me wrong, it was a tense night and I, I don't care to do that <laughs> again. Um, but, um, but you did it for a reason. That's right, we did it for a reason. Uh, but yes, that same kind of thing, not quite to that degree, but close, happens in the civilian search and rescue and emergency medical services where we end up up against a cliff edge hovering 
um, and we might be in it closes, you know, 10 feet to the blades, to the rocks and sit yep. there for a prolonged period of time or, you know, trees or whatever it is. And that tree or that rock may not be in front of me where I can see it. It may be off the tail mm. where only the crewman can see it. And so there's absolutely a level of trust and teamwork and um, uh, that needs to be there to be able to achieve the aim. And, and a lot of that trust comes from having standardised calls. So when he says... 10 feet or move right three or you know clear below or whatever you know exactly what he means and mm. and there's there's no miscommunication that goes on because miscommunication is when the accidents happen yeah uh, and to put it in terms uh, in form of analogy imagine you're driving a 40 ton truck but the guy that can see everything is in the front of the truck you're in the back blacked out and you can't see the road ahead and you're just listening to him say turn left a bit turn right a bit it, does it feel like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a really good <laughs> analogy. I'm actually. the captain, but I don't. I can't help. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Do you still mourn a little for those days? Uh, I don't know if mourn is the right word. I understand where you're coming from. Mm. Um, and or just look back fondly. Yeah, I I now look back fondly. Um. There, there is a part of me that I, I haven't quite come to terms with that believes that if, if I was to get asked to go again tomorrow, I'd go. Yep. Um, you know that's a question later in the interview. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no, I didn't have the cheat sheet, so yeah, there you yeah. go. I've answered that one. But yeah. um, I, I'd, I'd go. Um, would it be the smartest move? I, I really don't know. Um, I'm you know, another 15 years older than what I was then, and that brings a bit of wisdom, but it also brings a... A whole bunch of other problems, you know, uh, along with it. So, um, for a long time, I missed and I mourned. Mm. Um, but that also was associated with me keeping it secret. Mm. And uh, and and once I freed myself of that secret, then that mourning um, all but went. Yeah, we've talked fairly fairly lengthy about some of the hard stuff. What was easy about transition? What did you find worked fine? Wow. Because it's easy to focus on the negatives. You don't go, well, my finances were sorted. I owned a house. So I, job stability wasn't an issue anymore. But people get wrapped up in the everything's gone wrong for me. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's hard to reflect back and go, well, my wife had a much better life. Mm. Or my kids got their dad back yeah yeah um i'd love to say both things both those things happened (laughs) and that they were really good um one of the things that i think uh went well for me was the fact that i had uh a bunch of leave available to me and so therefore financially um i had a bridge yeah to be able to get me to the other side and uh, so I, I never had the urgent concern of can I pay feed the mortgage, can I feed my family, yep. you know, all those things. Um, and I know that for a bunch of people listening to this, they won't have that. Mm. Uh, and I know that I'm very fortunate and I'm very grateful, believe me, to have had that ability. Um, and so that allowed me to not have that short-term worry, but in the back of my mind was is this actually going to work out? Is this big monster 
um, going to come and whack me over the head and I'm not going to be able to fly again or I'm going to be out of the army and fall in a heap and then I won't have the medical discharge process to fall back on. Yeah. Um, so there were a number of those concerns that went along with it. But as far as uh, what went well, you know, I, I would say that that is, that is absolutely the number one thing mm. that I, I didn't have that as a concern. Yep. Yeah. One of the, the best things I think the government and DVA has come up with is the new veteran payment so that if somebody's struggling, that can be in their account within seven days and it's there every week or fortnight. It's, it's not a huge amount of money, yeah. but it's enough so you go, you know what, I can buy food. Yeah, great, um, great. So we've kicked some goals by learning some hard lessons, I think, there. Oh, absolutely. And, and people have, as we know, people have literally paid with blood. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, we don't need to go there. No. Um, we'll stop there. <laughs> it's all right. My studio's falling apart. No, we'll keep going, stuff it. Yeah. We're going to have a laugh. Yeah, We've exactly. been talking about all this heavy stuff. <laughs> um, so what empowers you now? Uh, well, I... Um so this this can be a really long answer, but I'll I'll try feel, to feel free. Oh, I won't I won't give you the really really long answer because <laughs> we'll be here for seven episodes. Yeah. Um, as I, I think I mentioned before, before I went to Afghanistan, I um, we I pulled my wife aside and, and we had a party at our place and a bunch of guys came around and whatnot and and it got a bit rowdy and my wife was getting a bit upset. It was getting a bit rowdy and. Um, what happens when people jump off roofs into pools and all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. And um, and I pulled her aside and um, and I said, you know, we're about to go and go and do something really, really serious. Mm. And I'm really happy the guys are happy to blow off some steam here before we go. They've been under the pump for a long time. Yep. And um, and that was a bit of a a teary moment for her. Um, and and then at a later point, you know, the question about the deployment, everything came up again, and, and I said to her, you know, darling, I honestly believe this is my reason for being on the planet yep. to deploy and go and lead these men and women. And, and, and that was a – that reason for being was a, a – a, that was who I am. That's who I was. That was, that was why I was there doing what I was doing. Um, and so it took – Hence, a lot of the shame and the sense of failure and everything when I couldn't do it anymore. Fifteen years later, I've now realised that I can still serve in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And my raison d'etre, reason for being now, is to lift humanity by inspiring people to find their own courage and their compassion. Um, and that's for themselves and for other people. Yep. And and let me assure you, they are not the kinds of words that would have come out of my mouth 15 years ago yep. or, or even five to seven years ago. Um, so, yeah, I I now uh, I now do you know everything from well, not everything. I still fly, rescue helicopters, and flight instructor and a flight examiner, and and I love flying, but I don't live to fly. Um, and what I what I what else I do is help people. 
by just telling them that I'm normal and you're normal and tell people a bit about me and it makes them realise that, yeah, they're normal too. Yep. So I do uh, mental health speaking, lived experience, presentations and whatnot. Um, and and that, not ju- I thought it was just going to be to military folks and I've since realised that it's, it's to every single person on the mm. planet, regardless of occupation or, or anything else, because we've all got hearts and we've all got heads, yep. and they get a bit messed up sometimes. Um, but uh, but what really got me was Anzac Day last year, and um, a fellow who was in my squadron had taken his life in December the year before. Um, I'd almost taken mine a number of years earlier, and uh, I was up in Townsville for work and. A, um, I was at over Anzac Day and I was um, reflecting at the cenotaph up there and thinking about his life, my life, so many other veterans that we've lost along the way, both in service and after service. And uh, I came across an A5-sized funeral service booklet on the ground and um, for a private Bradley Carr, an infantry soldier, and I'd never met Bradley, I, I, I did not know him, and um, he'd taken his life on Anzac Day the year before, and he was 34 when he died, and I was 35 when I almost took my life, and here was this service booklet laying on the ground, held down by a rock on each corner, and I just thought, this is terrible, this is just crap. Our families deserve better than this, that the best they can do to remember their loved one is put some rocks on a funeral booklet. Yeah, uh, and so I looked around. And I thought I'm going to get a memorial put in over there, not to Bradley and not to Steve Faisal, the pilot in my squadron, um, but dedicated to every single person that has served and taken their own life, um, because I want to offer dignity and respect to the families. Mm. Um, and and lo and behold, four months later, uh, it was unveiled in Townsville, and and now I'm putting them all around the country. Yep. Uh, there's one in Corumban and there's there's a bunch more in, in various stages of, of um, production. And it's all been done locally. Uh, I, I'm just the, the guy with the idea, um, but it's it's all being done locally by by local champions who, who, yeah, identify a site and then get the funding, which I'll help point them in the right direction. I give them all the files and they get a plinth or the, the plaques made and whatnot. Um, and... and yeah, give the family some dignity and respect and something somewhere tangible for them to go and, and grieve and heal. Mm. And and so far the response has been absolutely amazing. And so, man, that fills my cup yeah. in a big, big way. So what gets me out of bed these days is is so different to what it was 15 years ago, um, but is absolutely serving the nation, serving the community, serving the families. Um, in a way that I, I would never have imagined five years ago, but is every bit as fulfilling as it was when I had a uniform on. Yeah. I, I can certainly reflect on that in a slightly different way. I had one of my diggers um, commit suicide. I was away on a course. They went off to a, a different training establishment and whatnot, but um, that gave me pause to realise that there is a bunch of names that aren't on the war memorial. There's a bunch of names that aren't on the cenotaph in the local town. It's a silent thing. 
um, and I'm glad there's a light being shone on it, um, not just in royal commissions, but um, people are doing it themselves. Mm. I think that says everything. We shouldn't need the government to um, do a lot of that stuff for us. No, and it, it, it is something that we can absolutely do ourselves. And um, the, the thing with it is that we need to make sure we do it psychologically safe. Mm. Um, and, and we need to make sure... So I, with Core Infinitus, I um, worked with Open Arms and Mates for Mates and the North Queensland Primary Health Network to get their clinicians to oversee what we were putting together. So it's not just a dedication to those who have taken their lives because that, from a psychological perspective, is actually really dangerous. Yep. Um, so there's, there's another two plaques, um, sets of messages that go along with it. And one is a range of help numbers, as you'd see in the media anywhere, with Lifeline and, and yep. Helpline and Triple Zero. And then the other one is um, how do we... Because suicide prevention and destigmatisation is is part of the stated objectives of Core Infinitus. But how do how do I get someone there? How do I grab them without me being there to actually say, "Mate, it's okay. Things are shit at the moment. I get it, but you don't have to go down that path. There is there is help." Mm. And and my kids and my wife are two of the major reasons why I'm still here. But not everyone has kids and not everyone has a partner. Um, and, uh, but everyone has parents and we've all had mates. Um, we might have brushed a few aside over the years, but I guarantee we've all still got some mates. Um, and so I, got, I reached out to members of the veteran community who have been directly impacted by suicide, a parent, a partner, a child, a mate, and also someone who's attempted suicide themselves but survived and is really, really glad that they are still here. Mm. And they all gave me some words to put on a plaque that individually uh, are really powerful, but together they speak volumes and really grab somebody who's vulnerable standing there reading the plaque. So yeah. to, to tell them, you know, don't, don't go down this path. Mm. You know, come back and come back to us. Um, and and so, yes, we all can do it at, um, at a grassroots level. Um, we need to make sure, though, that we, we do it as safely as we can so that we don't endanger mm. um, people who are vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I've got some lived experience of suicidal ideation and um, all that stuff. And what I want to tell people that have seen it from the outside is I, I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop just Absolutely. for five minutes. Yep. Um, yep. And if you let yourself get to a point where nothing will stop the pain, maybe there's some other things that you need to do or not do. Um, I drank, I ate, I did all the wrong things. Yep. Um, and it wasn't until I changed that that I stopped um, getting suicidal thoughts. Mm. Um, I don't know if that'll work for everyone. But I'll be really happy if it works for one person. Yeah, yeah, mate, a absolutely. Um, yeah, wanting the pain to stop and and thinking that you've tried everything and you just haven't got the energy left to try yep. one more thing. But uh, I assure you, absolutely have the energy. Um, you just don't know it yet. Yeah. 
Um, so what is a typical day for you like now um, compared to uh, being a soldier? Is it totally different? Uh, yes and no. Um, so when I'm at work, then the day at work is not unlike a day in barracks uh, where you go along and you, you might be rostered to fly the aircraft that day either for operational tasking or for training, um, or you might be doing paperwork that day. Uh, you might be uh, doing some other training, so some um, everything, you know, the, the normal yearly, annual training uh, that you have to do is all the same in Civvy Street, so you still have to do all that annualised training as well. Um, so, yeah, so for me, and again, remember this is, uh, operational flying mm. um, so there's a lot of direct similarities there um, uh, is very very similar but then there's uh, other days and because I now have that other passion in my life uh, there are other days that are quite unlike my days well you know what they're, they're unlike but they're very similar again mm. in, in different ways right mm. um, where I'm preparing for a, um, a big presentation, a keynote presentation, or um, you know, having just delivered it and then talking with people afterwards. Um, or indeed with, with Core Infinitus, where I'm having meetings with everybody from ministers to grieving mothers or um, you know, local RSLs or, or other people or, or whatnot to, to look to do everything from the, the grassroots this is what the memorial. This is the this is the size and shape of the plinth. You know, three hundred mm. by four hundred by whatever. Um, to talking about the grant process and how to help streamline that. Yeah. So, you know, and again, that's not unlike any other management job mm. that you might do, or mm. any other leading, uh, any other position where you're you're in a leadership position where you give presentations, right, or you're dealing with stakeholders, or et cetera, et cetera. So, so whilst it it's different in many ways when you break it down to its component parts and you look at it conceptually, it's actually identical. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of now looking back with 2020 vision, what did you do well transitioning? What did I do well? Because like when you're going through transition, you can go, oh, this is tough, this is hard. Mm. And it's only when you look back and go, you know, I never had a problem getting type certification. I never had a problem applying these skills that I had to a totally different scenario. Yeah, and that that absolutely is is one of them, and that's part of what I said right at the start. We we don't give ourselves credit for what we know. Mm. Um, it might be a different language. We might need different terminology, um, but apply the professional attitude that you have, and you will see it come through um, and I think the other thing that I did well so that I didn't even think about um, at the time but one of the things I did think about at the time was to set a goal for getting out and um, and the goal was a very personal goal for me um, and it wasn't about um, it wasn't about achieving a certain amount of money or living in this type of house or having you know, anything materialistic actually at all. It was about a level of job satisfaction and 
where I saw myself in that industry at my own individual level. Yeah. It wasn't competing against anybody else. It wasn't looking as I said, it wasn't materialistic. It wasn't based on a particular job that I wanted to go for. Um, it was a goal that I set for myself and I got focused on that goal. Because and and in hindsight I can see now I did that just by default. But in hindsight I can see what that did for me was to help give me purpose, at least in the short to medium term as I stopped putting on a green uniform every morning. Yep. Um, and instead of allowing myself just to sort of wave around, I knew that I wanted to achieve that goal for me. Yep. So that helped give me purpose every day to aim for. It's funny, when my, my partner was an SSO nurse um, for a period, so she did Archie and whatnot, it, it was very interesting to see somebody deploying that wasn't me that was somebody I cared about. Mm. Um, and that was a very humbling experience going, all right, how do I get her as a nurse ready for humanitarian operations after a tsunami? Um, yeah. She's going to need to know a few things. and She's not going to be able to ring me and go, how do I get this to happen in the military, um, which she'd been able to do when she was at RMC or wherever she was doing um, courses and all, all that sort of stuff. She could always get on the phone and go, how do I do the?" And I was able to turn the civilian thoughts that she had into um, a military way of looking at it. Um, so that was very humbling for me. And um, I don't know that many people have a partner that they've sent on deployment, but I do know one guy, um, and this message is for him, that it's going to be okay. Um do you still struggle with mental health? A lot of people will look at you now um, and look at public speaking and, and the things you're doing and go, he's got it all squared away, all the ducks are in a row. Yep. And this is just to normalise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, just like social media, just like every glossy brochure that you pick up in a travel store or yep. in the newsstand, um, you only really get to see the front veneer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, absolutely, I have bad days. And, you know, something that um, uh, something that I've actually I've not shared anywhere publicly at all um, is that uh, I actually had another anxiety attack uh, just prior to Christmas. Yep. And, um, and which uh, has pretty well hit me out of the blue. Mm. Uh, because you know, I I I get up on stage and talk about it, right? Yeah. Tell people about this stuff. Um, and here I was, thought I was dealing with various demons and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and I had a completely involuntary physiological response that was something kind of like a seizure, um, or a, or a or a stroke, um, in that I just froze up and I was behind a glass panel is that's how I can describe it. I was behind a pane of glass for about 15 seconds yep. um, and my wife was right in front of me going Kevin Kevin come back to me what are you doing what are you, hey, hey, hey. and I could see her and I can hear her and I couldn't respond um, and after a barrage of medical testing um, it turned out that physically all fine nothing to see here the good news is there's nothing to see here the bad news is there's nothing to see here 
so therefore if it's not physical it's psychological yep. and um and so mate i absolutely still have good days and bad days um and um you know i i tell people because it's true that i go and see a psychiatrist about every four months um and i i don't really like that but i've absolutely accepted that and so much so that i now call it my ops normal call so for those people who don't yep. know that it's <laughs> particularly in the aviation world i know there's there's other forms of it in different yep. other areas but in the aviation world basically every 30 minutes you've got to give an ops normal call to tell people that you're still flying and um and so for me it's my ops normal call with the psych yep. um you know I, I go and see a psychologist um and you know and, and matter of fact i um you know i, I filled out a DAS 21, whatever it was, um, and doing some work with an exercise physiologist trying to get some physical activity back into my body Um, and went through the questions there and, you know, the stress scale um, was a lot higher than what I thought it was going to be, right? And, And just looked at it and went, wow, Kev, you don't... There, there is the bad news, folks, in saying all this, is that there isn't a silver bullet. Mm. There isn't a, you know, wake up one day and it was all a bad dream or it's it, it's all over. Yeah. Once you go down this path, then it's with you for life. Yeah. And, and the best thing that I can say about how to deal with that is to accept it and embrace it yep. as a new part of your life. Um, because the more you fight it, the more energy you spend fighting it, the harder and harder it gets. And the less time you get to spend enjoying what yep. else is there because you're spending all your energy fighting this thing instead of just acknowledging it that's now a, a part of your new normal. Yep. Um, so, yeah, mate, I have good days and bad days. Um, I, I hold, I have no secrets from CASA or from anybody else um and so you know i i lost my medical again when i had this anxiety attack i fessed up straight away to casseros because the last thing i would want if my family was out there would be getting a helicopter with a pilot who just can't do anything blanks out for 15 seconds there's no way i'm gonna allow someone else's family to get on board my aircraft until i find out what's going on Mm. i only got my medical back two weeks ago three weeks ago right so six to seven months it took ballpark yep for me to be able to get the clearance to fly again um and yeah that's it's not i mean there's a there's a there's only half a dozen people that know that so far in the fullness of that <laughs> right um but what we're here to talk about is to give people the truth about the good the bad the ugly of this stuff right yep um and and I would be being, I'd be lying to myself about my values and about in, encouraging people to find their own courage and their own compassion. Because unless we accept the shitty days in our life mm. as just that, shitty days, right? It doesn't mean that tomorrow is going to be the same. It doesn't, doesn't mean, rain every day. It doesn't rain every day. So until we can accept that we have some shitty days and we've got to deal with it. And then once we deal with it, get on with our life again. And I'm going to get back in the air again. Mm. Um, yeah, so right. good days and bad days, absolutely. Yeah. 
there's a million analogies I give. Um, I use diabetes as one. Once you know you've got diabetes, you don't stop taking your insulin. When you've got a car and it's the engine's making a funny noise, you go to the mechanic. You mm. don't go, I'm going to block that out. Yeah. When you've got an aircraft, you do the R1 service. You don't put it off. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's and easy. that's how I treat my mental health treatment regime. Mm. I don't love it. I hate taking the Smarties every night. But if I don't do it, I pay. Mm. Um, so it is absolutely normal to feel like that for me. Yep. A- and that's a message that I want to get out to people is that you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to take a pill and be Superman. Mm. You're still right. going to be a little bit broken and that's okay. Yeah, and, and part, of, part of my message for people as well is that it's a, you have a new 100%, right? As mm. a lot of people listening to this will be, let's just, I'm going to say at least in their 30s, maybe in their 40s, um, but we're not physically capable of what we were when we were 18 or 20, no. right? We, we, we're just physically different people. We've grown, we've evolved, we've broken bones, we've, you know, and, and some people might be twice or three times stronger now than what they were then because they've changed their life, changed their, their way of doing things, right? But whatever it is, you've now got a new 100% physically compared to what it was when you were 18. We all have new 100% financially. We're now in a different financial state than when we were 18. Yep. Socially, emotionally, psychologically, they all apply the same. You've got a new 100%. So just aim for your own individual 100%, yep. what that means for you today. Yep. And think of it like waves on the ocean. Sometimes you're going to be at the top of the wave, sometimes you're going to be at the bottom, but it's going to keep moving up and down. Yep. Yep. And, and just follow that wave. Exactly. Try, try and keep it in the middle of it where you can. Yeah, and learn how to surf it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to double barrel this question. Yep. Um, because it's probably a bit topical. If you could put a uniform back on tomorrow at rank and seniority, would you? And the second barrel is, if it was World War Three, China and Korea were coming, would that change that decision? Uh, yes and no. Yep. Is the is the really simple answer to that one, mate? Yep. Um you know, would I, would I necessarily, if I had a choice, want to go back at the same rank and same position yeah. as opposed to, and this is particularly from a flying perspective, right, different mm-hmm. world compared to a number of other corps out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look at the helicopters that these guys are flying around these days and they are amazing bits of kit. Mm. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to have a fly in the simulator of the new Chinook, which is a new generation compared to what I flew. Yeah. Um, what an amazing, amazing aircraft. Um, and, and for people that don't know what a Chinook is internally, you look at the outside of it and you casually go, well, it, it's still got the two rotors and it's still... But the exponential change is massive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the, the upgraded engines, the avionics, particularly the avionics and navigation communication suite, um, is, is just um, uh, light years ahead of what it was when I flew it. Mm. and. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'd happily drop a couple of ranks to, to, be, that to, to, be able to, <laughs> to be able to get back in the line flying again. Yeah. Have you ever thought about going to like a, a historical aircraft recreation society type place and going, all right, let's do some time in the boo? Um, or, or a Huey. There's a couple of guys flying Hueys in Australia that are all mocked up and whatnot. Have you ever thought of doing that sort of stuff? No. Um, and, and primarily, I... 
I love flying, but I don't live to fly. Yeah. And so um, I we I find that I'm I'm already away too much, <laughs> and yeah. um, and particularly when I put the speaking and, and other things into it, um, that I don't spend anywhere near enough time at home with the kids and the family and all the rest of it. So yeah, I try. Um, well, I shouldn't say try. I'm a fan of Yoda. You know, do or do not, there is no try. Um, I put my best effort towards um, uh, giving some time at home. What would you call the highlight of your post-transition career? Highlight of the post-transition? I would say the, the feedback from... The widows and the parents and the brothers once I created Core Infinitus. Yeah. Something I, um, and you've probably worked it out by now, um, the passion that I have in the veteran space um, gives me, that's the highlight of what I do. I run businesses, I have all this other stuff that I do. Um, but I think deep down I do all that so that I can throw some money and resources at veterans. Yeah. Um, yeah. And don't think uh, for the veterans that are out there, they're like, oh, well, I could never run a business. You'd be amazed what you can do. Absolutely. And still give back. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I never appreciated what this phrase meant of having a purpose bigger than yourself. Um, and and I can tell you when I when I set out to put that first core infinitus memorial in the ground, um, it wasn't about that in terms of that term. Mm. It was about that in terms of what I wanted to do. It was about the families, right? Mm. But I never saw it as something bigger than me. I just saw it as the families who need yeah some dignity and respect. Um, but it, you will see the most fulfilled people are the ones who have a passion um, that is there for others and they get to, and they get to do their thing mm. that ends up serving others along the way. Yep. And, um, and, yeah, it's just I actually find it really hard to put into words, succinctly put into words, the feeling that you get when you get that feedback from yep. people and you see... It's so humbling. Oh, it is. Yeah. You, you see the look in their face. You see their embrace within their family unit and whatnot. Mm. Yeah. The only cautionary word I'll give to um, anyone else to, that wants to follow in those footsteps is don't let that absorb you um, and don't let that be everything to you. 100%. Yes, good point, mate. Um, if that is everything to you, then you're setting yourself up for another big, big fall. Yep. Um, you have to have something else out there that you, you do for you mm. and you know, as, a, as a hobby, as a, as a whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, you can't spend all of your time serving other people yep. um, because the, the big thing with that um, is that when you give someone the power to make you happy, you give them the power to hurt you. Yep. Um, and I'm not saying that any of the families or widows... And that could be an object or uh, a business or an anything. Correct, and anything. Right, um, a partner, uh, uh, your children, whatever it is. Um, if you're not 
if you're not taking responsibility actively for your own happiness, um, then yeah, look out because you're you're in for hurt at some stage. Let's uh, segue again, and I'm going to go off on a slightly different tangent. In terms of keynote speaking and all that stuff, I don't know many soldiers that can self-promote. I don't know many soldiers that can go and sell. Um, Did you find operating that style of business uh, had its own transition problems? Absolutely. I have no idea how to market. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I honestly have no idea. Yeah. Um I and I and I feel dirty. Yeah. I feel dirty when I um say to people this is the price. Yeah. Um and and indeed I didn't charge anything for a long time. Um until I soon realized that I was actually now taking up a lot of my time doing things for other people which was great, but again I was taking if I was giving them time I was taking it away from my family. Mm. Um, or I was taking it away from me on the odd occasion that I actually give some time to myself to recharge, um, which is super, super important. Yep. And something I need to continue to remind myself, as most of us do, that end mm. up in passionate areas um, of business and, and not-for-profits and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, mental blank. I find that working in charity can totally absorb you mm. and and you, you've got to think of it like I've got a bucket and I'm trying to fill that by putting water into it and that's the effort I'm putting into charity in broad terms. I'm not talking about wounded heroes or anything specific, yeah. but the airing charity has something coming out of it as well. Absolutely. You're never going to match that as one person. No, no, not at all. The um, inflow and the outflow has to be from multiple people. And you would never, if you're a medic on the battlefield or a paramedic, if you're not able to do the job yourself, how can you treat others? Mm. And, and you need to battlefield triage yourself before you help others. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And and it's, yeah, what I'm going through with... Um you know, with Core Infinitus is is looking at how to how to be the guy talking about the dimensions of a stone plaque, uh, a stone plinth, um, mm. and the the brass and the this and the that, as well as talk to the minister about grant funding. Yeah. Um. You know, and and the the mayor and whatever else. And I'm not saying minister and mayor to to big note myself. I'm just saying that if you, um, if you want to achieve the growth and the impact, you have to connect to the right. Then you people. have to connect with the right people. That's exactly right. And and then you have agreements and things that come out of those meetings, um, or, or commitments that come out of those meetings, and then you need to get follow a rubber, up. You follow up, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you you need to start to build that team, and um, yeah, not everybody is happy to to put in the effort for free. Don't get me wrong, a lot of people are, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot of people are. Um, then it's also about making sure you get the right people around you that are all on net yeah. with the the same mission as you. Um, one of the saddest things is seeing people um, that are giving to a charity or something bigger than themselves and they burn themselves out mm. by giving so much that they've got nothing of themselves left. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, a, a lot of soldiers, sailors, airmen, policemen go, well, I've got nothing else I can do. Um, 
there is some ease in transitioning to be a civilian pilot because that's that's something that anyone can go, well, a pilot flies a plane, they can do that on the outside. A gun number in artillery or a motorcycle cop or a paramedic goes, I can't give Schedule 8 drugs to the guy that's on the ground. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. And there's nowhere else I can do that. Um, Have you got any advice for people that go, well, what can I do? Like, is there a a business thing that they can drop into? Is there a, like, should they, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there are. Now, and I know I've come across a few over the years, and unfortunately I can't think of any particular names off the top of my head. Um, We can drop them in the show notes so people can refer to them. Uh, But there absolutely are some um, different types of profiling that you can do online to help you work out and they're not personality, but there is a person. There are plenty of personality profiles, but the ones mm. I'm thinking about are more about your entrepreneurial strengths. Um, yeah, I mean, one off the top of my head is called Wealth Dynamics by a, a guy in the UK, mm. um, and he gives a very different spin on how to look at your strengths and weaknesses and where you fit in from a business entrepreneurial perspective. Yeah, and then also helps you helps you to identify the other kinds of people that you need around you to mm-hmm. help you be a successful business person because not all of us are really creative to come up with an idea in the first place mm. but not then again not all of us really like working spreadsheets and yep. numbers right yeah um but you need both those kinds of people to have a successful business in the long run mm. um, so it's a matter of identifying um those kinds of traits so the best thing i would say offer at least would be to write down on a on a uh, on a piece of paper as simple as this write down on a piece of paper um basically your your strengths and your interests um or your passions or whatever you want to and and write them down write down 10 and then go for a break and then come back and write down another 10 yep and importantly Give this. Give a blank piece of paper with the same two headings to your partner and to your mate, um, and maybe even to your kids if they're, you know, depending on their age, um, and ask them their view of you. What mm. do they see as your strengths? Um, you know, and and you might be really surprised. I know I have been um, in a similar process that I, I've been through. Uh, where someone identified my strengths and I went, you've got to be kidding me. Not I'm terrible ch- at that. I am absolutely <laughs> woefully that. And he goes, really? What about this? What about that? What about that? What about that? And I went, yeah, what yeah, about but, those? Yeah, but. Yeah, what about those? What about those? <laughs> and he goes, man, you are just a natural in those areas. Mm. You need to keep doing more of that. And I'd never, ever seen it from that perspective before, right? Um, because, and ultimately, we. I won't go right off on a tangent and talk about mental health leadership, but um, we, our, our self-awareness is one of the most important pieces of awareness, of self-understanding. Um, and it's, how, it's our critical analysis of our own biases. Right? And unless we fully understand why we think the way we think, then we'll think that every thought we have is infallible. Yep. Whereas in actual fact, nothing could be further from the truth Mm. but we only think the way we do because of the experiences that we've had we need to understand which of those are valid 
for the environment that we are now in as opposed to the environment where we learnt to mm. have that thought in the first place. Mm. Follow me? Yep. So we will only ever think the way we have thought until we're challenged on it. And we aren't able to challenge ourselves until we put on a new pair of glasses to get a different perspective. Or we, in a very physical sense, take up a position 90 degrees to where we were first observing that same target. Now we get to see the target in a whole new light. Mm -hmm. When we get that different perspective, now we go, ah, wow, look at that. And that's what... I'm looking at that, that iceberg, it's not that big. And then you stick your head underwater and go, hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, um, and so we, we, we gain a new perspective and that was the first time that I'd ever seen those things that that guy said to me in a positive light. That is something I should aim to replicate. Wow. I still haven't worked out how to do it, <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> but, but it is something that I'm now aware of and so therefore I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about side hustles and income streams because you've got enough stuff going on. We've we've talked yeah. long enough, I think. Um, tell me a little bit about core infinitus that we haven't covered. Um, or should I say infinitus? Yeah, so um, good point. Core infinitus uh, would be the Latin way. Mm. Core infinitus is, I reckon, the Australian way. Australia. Australia, mate. Um, so... Core infinitus means uh, infinite courage. Um, core is uh, Latin for heart. It's the root word of courage. And the original meaning of courage was to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. And I believe that um, the, the courage that the families have needed um, to deal with somebody who is emotionally distressed to the point they're contemplating suicide um, is immense. Um, the courage they need after someone takes their own life is immense. And indeed, infinity means endless or boundless. So hence the, the name that came along. Um, the, the symbol that I created for Core Infinitus is a watercolour to indicate softness, compassion, care. Uh, it's an infinity loop, uh, which is gold, to represent that they were valued. They just couldn't see it at the time but it's torn and frayed for the internal turmoil that just couldn't be beaten. And then there's a sprig of rosemary woven through the centre to indicate the military is still with them and remembrance. The, the other thing, and, and so the feedback I've got on the, the name and the symbol is that it really connects with people. And just from those two things alone, there's a degree of solace for the memorials themselves, for the Core Infinitus memorials, one of the really, really important parts about, um, apart from being psychologically safe, which we've already spoken about, is that they are not for any individual person or era or circumstance, and they do not glorify suicide. They are completely inclusive and completely anonymous. And therefore, they are owned by every family across the country who has lost someone. And when I say family, for me, I actually include mates, friends, 
as part of that one term or family mm. uh, because we're dealing when we're dealing with this kind of grief um, it feels like they are part of your family for some of our best mates that we've been with on the battlefield or in training or, or wherever the case may have been mm-hmm. um, so yeah it it is completely anonymous no names on any of any kind not who unveils it not anybody's name uh, on any of these memorials uh, they are there um, forever to be owned by the families in the local area and it's my uh, my aim my hope that a core infinitus memorial will be in every city and town around the country uh, by 2025 and i know that's a ridiculous goal um, but it's it's one that i'm striving to achieve yep. um, so and uh, and not just for uh, whilst my focus at the moment is on veterans uh, also for emergency services as well. I've yep. I haven't worked in emergency services now for ten years. I've seen um, some of the the carnage, the heartache, the 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 issues that you know police, fire, and ambulance deal with on a not just a daily basis, but an hourly basis. Mm. And um, and I absolutely take my hat off to them. And yep. and whilst those in military serve the nation, those emergency service folks serve the community. Um, both types of service are equally valid Absolutely. to create what I call the fabric and freedoms of our society. And, uh, and I think that you know, we need to acknowledge the emergency mm. service um, uh, heartache that goes on for the individuals as well as their families as well. Yep. Yeah, one of the things I try to do and I'm not fantastic at in this podcast is try to talk not just about military veterans – um, you can be an, a paramedic veteran, you can be a police veteran, you've done this thing yep. um, and you've served. Mm. Uh, I don't care how you served the world, yep. um, you've done something. Yeah. Um, and people get wrapped up in the label veteran. Um, but uh, And again, I'll go back to Jeremy Williams. When he committed suicide, I redefined what a veteran was in my own mind mm. to include people that have just been in training um, they signed the check and it was cut short through no fault of their own or no choice of their own. Um, and I don't have a problem calling those people a veteran. Yeah, mate, I'm glad you raised it because I was about to do the same. Yeah. And and um, I have spoken to a number of people who say, I only did this much of IETs, yeah. I, only, I served in the 80s, I you know did this, I did that, I didn't operate. deploy, I was yeah. a, peacetime, a, a peacetime guy. And I'm not a veteran, right? And I say, no, 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 no. Stop. Change the language, right? Um, veteran is just a word that was coined to talk about people who'd been somewhere or whatever. Mm. The only thing that makes me a veteran and you not a veteran is the era that I served in. But we both volunteered. We both yep. were medically fit. We were both tra- tactically trained, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, it's just that during your time, there you know, foreign policy and this and that and whatever meant that it didn't go anywhere. Mm. During my time, I went a few places. Yep. It doesn't make me any more worthy or any more special than mm. you. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, I'm exactly with you, Trav. Veteran is a, is a synonymous term to me that says anybody who put their hand up um, to be eligible to go, those who were conscripted. Um, Nashos. Nashos, absolutely. It doesn't matter if you got... 50 medals on your chest or none. Or just the ADM. Yep. Yep. Doesn't matter. 
Um, and I get a lot of strife from that for people around me because I push it on them and they don't love it. And I'll be honest, I, I have done over the last 20 years a massive backflip on that. Mm. Um, I was very much operational warlock service. That Having a double ASM or an ASM, that's what calls you a veteran. Mm. Um, and I am 180 on that now. Yeah, Absolutely. Funny, mate. I was too. Probably, yeah. probably before I got my double ASM. Um, is uh, that's the Australian Active Service Medal, in case anybody doesn't know what that is. Um, yeah, then I was the same. That no, 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 you're not a veteran until you've earned one of those. Yeah. Um, but uh, I couldn't have been any more wrong. Mm. Um, an analogy somebody said to me once, all right, you, you're playing footy, you're in the finals, you don't get off the bench, were you a finals footy player? Mm. Absolutely. You did everything. You just, chance didn't get you on the field. Mm. There's no difference there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for coming on. Mate, my pleasure. Um, my pleasure. Great to see you again and, yeah, great to come and have, and have a yarn. Good to have a yarn. Let's um, keep connected. Um, I've oh, got a will, bunch of ideas that I, <laughs> I want to slide by you. Um, Knowing the Travis Goldie of a few years ago, mate, when you say you've got ideas, then <laughs> they're going to be good ones. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not building a bunker with an air conditioner out for you again. <laughs> it was good, though. <laughs> Long story, that one, for another podcast. Yeah. Maybe one of my up-late ones. Um, so if anyone wants to support Core Infinitus, they should do it more locally. They, they don't come to you and go, form a group, then come to you. That, is that the... Yeah, GI? so all it takes is one person. Yep. All it takes is one person to be the local champion, identify a, um, you know, ideally local cenotaph or memorial that's already in your town or suburb. Yep. Um, and and then say, yeah, let's get a Core Infinitus memorial put in there. If it's privately owned land like some RSLs have or yep. whatever, then that makes the approvals pretty simple. If it's public land like council land, then, yep, a bit more complicated but not insurmountable. And I tell you, every council I've spoken to about this is 100% supportive. Every yep. state politician, federal politician, 100% supportive. Yep. Um, and anybody who's even wavered, um, when after honestly after yeah. about three minutes of having a chat with them, they're mm. on board. Yeah, because um, they just didn't understand it. They had a few um, uh, a few concerns based on myth as opposed to fact mm. around suicide and mental health. Yeah. So when you put the facts in on the table, um, then they're they're on board in no time. So all it needs is one person identify a site um, or it, gee, just a suburb or a town, and then, um, yeah, get in contact and, and we'll make the rest of it work. And funding, there's, there's federal and state grant funding available for all the hard costs of the concrete, the brass, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, I've certainly been involved with a, um, a different memorial getting done. Um, there was a bit of a paperwork process in finding a grant writer to do it, but um, it all paid for itself in the end. Yeah. So yep. um, don't think that's something that you can't get through. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and core is spelled C O R, infinitus, and there'll be a link in the yeah. I'll put some links in the show notes so uh, that people can, people can um, do what they want to do with that and reach out to you if they want you to come speak to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate, absolutely. Yeah, more than happy. Well, it's that time. Thanks. The music's playing. That's it. That's Liam Payne, Walsing Matilda. Thanks, Trav. It's been brilliant, mate. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to the Millsim podcast. We're not sponsored directly by any business. So how does it exist? Because of a dedicated group of people who send me money on Patreon. Patreon is a way for me to pay for the cost of hosting and sharing this podcast on the internet and upgrading equipment as required. And you can get some perks if you're in Patreon. A few people pay a significant amount, but I'd like a bunch of people who like what we do to just pay $1 a month as they really help me with the algorithms. I do shout out events and retailers, but they are all things I'm directly involved in running myself or the events or products I want to support in the community. You also won't be here running anyone down directly, but I will give feedback I think is constructive. You can also support me once off via PayPal if you don't like Patreon, or you can send me mail or products to review via Wounded Heroes at PO Box 73, Ellen Grove, or 078 in Queensland. But please be aware I can't return review products unless you include full return postage. I thank you in advance for your anticipated support, and I hope you're enjoying our podcast.